reading this morning is Ruth chapter 2, to be found on page 267, 267 of the Bible. Ruth 2, verse 1, Ruth meets Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative for Hassan's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseers replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting and follow along the women. I told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes? that you notice me, a foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not know the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Moaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she gave her. What was she? Mother-in-law, how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought up and gave her what she'd left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, "Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you." 
Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I have worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to him, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women first to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Here ends the lesson. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, please speak to us now by your Spirit, through your Word. Amen. Do you like my glasses? <laughs> Alistair was in difficulty in the Abbey um, and wanted to borrow some glasses, so he looked at these and he admired them for some time. He didn't actually look through them to see what he was supposed to be singing, but he did look at the glasses, but that's not what they're for. They're magnifiers. You're supposed to look through them. Some of you are much admired. Some, like me, are less than 100% on the ball. But Jesus has told us to be light, salt as well, but light. Our light is to shine so that people can see our good deeds and glorify God, and that people will know that we're Jesus' disciples because we have love one for another. So if we're like my glasses, uh, we have to hope and pray that God will show his love through us, that our lives will reflect Jesus, the light of the world, a light to lighten foreigners. And that's the fulfillment of Isaiah and of Luke. Jesus reveals God to us fully. Hebrews. But he also gives us an example. Remember in John, just after washing the disciples' feet, he says that he's done this as an example that we are to follow. So it is our instruction. We are told to show his love. And the word we have for his love in uh, this particular part of Ruth is his loving kindness. The, the, now, this is, a, this is a bit... Ah, the Hebrew word is hesed, as we will ju just be confirmed. <laughs> Excellent timing. When Ruth talks about a blessing for Boaz because he's shown 
uh, God's loving kindness or, in fact, that it's God himself who's showing his kindness. He hasn't forsaken the living or the dead, he says in verse 20. The word is hesed, and that means really God's covenant, steadfast, loving kindness. It's a big, strong word. It's a a word that keeps coming in Ruth, and it echoes the whole of, of the first five books of the Bible as well. The people of God are to love God and to reflect His love, including by loving neighbors and foreigners, to act as light, throwing light by our lives, by our words, by our character, on God's covenant. That's an enormous thing to be required to do, isn't it? But somehow, by our pathetic efforts, with God's strength and power, we are to show some tiny part of his covenant, steadfast, loving kindness to men. And, of course, women. So the book of Ruth is about God's steadfast, covenant, loving kindness and about his sovereignty. There's that um, little line about the field that uh, Ruth is, is in, it, it happened, she happened to come to that part of the field belonging to Boaz, my translation says. That's a Hebrew convention for saying, God arranged this, this is the hand of God bringing this about. This is God's sovereignty in human life. It's a field, it's a, it's a whacking great field. It's not a, a, a field that we have here with hedges and ditches and fences around. It's a big field, and the ownership of it is separated by boundary stones. Very, very easy to wander off into the wrong part of a field like that. She happens to go to the bit that belongs to Boaz. She happens, God arranges it, and Boaz reminds her to stay in his part of this field. So the book of Ruth has God's steadfast covenant, loving kindness, and his sovereignty, and it has man's behavior in a very savage age. It's the time of the judges, a dangerous time. Described in the commentary I read as men behaving badly, women behaving slightly better. But it's about a return to the land, return to the covenant, and a return to God from the people we read about in Ruth 2. as light-bearers or light-sharers or reflectors of God's light in a chain that eventually points to King David and to Jesus. And God encourages us to do the same. So Naomi, call me Mara, bitter, the Lord's hand has gone out against me, she says in chapter 1, verse 21 and verse 13. She returns It's a big theme in Ruth. She returns to Israel from Moab after leaving Israel for Moab because of a famine in chapter 1. And she says that the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has brought calamity on me. But she is returning. She says to Ruth, go back to your family and your gods and your people and your land in Moab. In verse 15 of chapter 1. But she's coming back, she's returning to God's land, seeking food, family, a place to live in Bethlehem. 
Ruth, the Moabitess, a foreigner, she's come up with this amazing declaration of faith in chapter 1. Quite extraordinary. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people. Your God should be my God. This is a lady from outside Israel. And Boaz knows that she's returning and seeking refuge under God's wing. So she's returning to Israel even though she's never lived there. Like many people in the diaspora are returning. And she has had some experience, some experience of God through her mother-in-law, perhaps her father-in-law, perhaps through the two boys, Marlon and Kilion. But we don't know how much, we don't know how much she knows, but it's incomplete, we assume. So she's on a journey. She's seeking this God to whom she's committed herself and she's seeking refuge under his wings in his land. So there they are, returning to the land to live off the leftovers of the barley harvest. Because they've heard in chapter 1, that God has visited his land and again given them food. So, refugees, Naomi twice over, first a refugee in Moab, now back in Israel. 12th century BC, no NHS, no DWP, no food bank, no social services, no charities. Very dangerous place. It's the time of the judges. The judges are in charge. God raises them up one by one in charge of Israel because Israel goes astray, follows other gods, there's invasion. If you look at the beginning of each chapter in Judges, it starts off by saying, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and, and then it's either the Ammonites or the Amalekites or Philistines or whatever it might be, you come and attack the land. God raises up the judge. The judge defends them, protects them. God gives victory. And then uh, the chapters close with the ghastly words, and the children of Israel. The land had rest 40 years. Next one starts, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord raised up. So time and again, they go off and they forget about God. He raises up a judge. They forget again. But he is constant in his loving kindness to Israel, to the people who trust him, however they slip. But the judges get worse, and, and towards the end of this time, the civil war, 11 of the tribes are fighting against the tribe of Benjamin. There's rape, and it ends with murder, um, incest, and abduction of young girls. Trafficking. Not a good place, you would think, to go. How far has it got from God's covenant promise to Abraham. We look at the covenant and see how God's done and then we'll wonder how men have done. Give you a clue there. God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, leave your country, your people, your homeland and go to the land I will show you. Yes, he's shown Abraham the land and he's taken him there. So God's kept his part. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. Yes. I'll make you great and you will be a blessing. Yes, in Joseph, the land of Egypt was fed and all those other nations around it were fed. God used the people of Israel to be a blessing. I'll bless you. Those who um, bless you, I will bless. 
and those who curse you I will curse. Yes, in leaving Egypt, there's a terrible judgment on Egypt, but the people of Israel are blessed. They are able to leave in the Exodus. I'll bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse. And then the next one, in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Can't quite see that fulfilled at the time of Ruth. But it's explained in Galatians 3, verse 16. I'll read that. Because this is the covenant that God is faithful to. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the offspring, the seed, is Jesus. In Jesus shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And then he says it to make it clear in verse uh, 26 of Galatians 3. In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring as according to promise. So, at the time of Ruth, God hasn't completed that particular part of the covenant, but we know that he has now. Uh, to your offspring, Genesis 12, I will give the land. Yes, they're in the land at the time of Ruth. Your offspring will be as numberless as the stars. Yes, there are lots of them. Your offspring will be ill-treated in Egypt 400 years and come back and return to the land. Yes, in the time of the judges, they're in the land. God's kept his part of the covenant. How's man done? Well, we've thought about that in Judges. And towards the end of Deuteronomy, God gives us choice. And he says there will be, there are blessings on Mount Gerizim and there are curses on Mount Ebal. And he says, if you believe and if you follow and you love and you keep my commandments, then you will be blessed, your land will be blessed, you'll be blessed to a thousand generations. But if you don't, there'll be a curse. And it won't rain. If you're faithful, it'll rain. There'll be two harvests a year. If you don't, it won't rain. And the beginning of Judges, there's a famine. What causes a famine? No rain. It might be war, but on this occasion it doesn't say war. It's reasonable to assume it's no rain. So God is faithful to his promises for good, and he's faithful to what he says about what will happen for bad. But, happily, praise God, we do know, don't we, that the curses, if we believe, fall on Jesus on the cross. Now, Ruth doesn't know that, because this is the 12th century BC. But if God is faithful to the promises, that he makes, <laughs> and we've seen that, then we can trust him for those parts of the promises that he hasn't yet fulfilled. And the promises are completely fulfilled in Jesus' arrival for the first time, and his death and resurrection, and will be completely fulfilled in his return. He is faithful 
to his promises, God's steadfast covenant, loving kindness. God took what he said seriously, seriously enough to send Jesus. He takes our sin, our rebellion, our ignoring of his promises seriously enough for that. We need to take it seriously too. That is his steadfast covenant loving kindness promised by the Father, made available by the Son and delivered by the Holy Spirit. That's what Naomi was returning to Could we pause just for a minute now to pray for any other people we know, like Naomi, who may have lost track of or forgotten or even turned their backs on God's faithful, loving kindness. We pray, Lord, that you will open your eyes, open these people's eyes, these are children, these are friends, these people we know, to your love and kindness again. That they may, like Naomi, return Amen. Haven't finished yet. That was an interruption. So what light does Naomi in her life and character and her words throw on God's loving kindness? Does she reflect in any way God's love? She starts off, doesn't she, by saying, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Call me Mara, bitter. Now, the book of Ruth doesn't say whether she's right or wrong to think that. It doesn't say whether the famine was caused as a judgment. It just doesn't say. In some books, like 1 Kings, it does say when there's a famine. It does link that specifically to idolatry by, by Ahab and his, his predecessors as kings. But it doesn't say in Ruth's case. So we don't know whether, from Ruth's point of view, this is what she would consider to be undeserved, unexplained suffering, because it is suffering. She's lost, first of all, she's lost her home, she's lost her people, she's lost her place in the land, and then she's lost her husband, she's lost her sons, and she's now without any support. She is going through unexplained suffering, perhaps like Job. In the book of Job, we're told what's going on. We know it's a test. We know, really, secretly, it's not judgment, because we've read the first chapter. But in this case, we don't know. And many times, we just don't know when something goes wrong. We don't know whether it's some sort of test or some sort of uh, endurance or whether we've done something wrong uh, in particular. But she is returning to God. She's on her way. She's going back. And if that's where anybody is today, stop listening to me and start thinking about that and come back to God. Fresh start today and a fresh start every day. And it doesn't say whether it was Naomi's fault that they'd left the land or whether that was Elimelech's uh, decision. But there she is, like the prodigal son, on her way back to God's steadfast covenant, loving kindness. And she seems to have inspired Ruth a bit, doesn't she? Ruth has at least made this astonishing declaration that she wants to join Naomi's family and her God. Naomi had abandoned her heritage, her land, God and people, and gone off to Moab, and now she's going back, and Ruth is going with her, and Ruth is abandoning her heritage, her gods, her people, and she's going with Naomi. 
So perhaps a first step to being a light to reveal God to others is that we should get back and return ourselves to a closer walk with God. Naomi is a work in progress, and so are we. What about Ruth? Well, by her words, she's made that astonishing declaration of faith, and she's a bit like Abraham because she's left her home and her family and her covenant. She's off to the land that God will show. And in her work, Boaz notices her in verse 10 because of her work. And he knows what she's done for Naomi. That's what he's heard about her. That's why he's kind to her initially. Her character, she's noticed by the chap in charge of the harvesters. She's working in verse 3. She's gleaning for herself and Naomi in verse 7. She's working hard. She asked permission. She didn't just pitch up in verse 2 and verse 6. She didn't demand her rights in verse 7. And she's modest in verse 13. And her purpose in verse 12, as Boaz understands, is to come and take refuge under God's wing. She's seeking God. She doesn't have necessarily 100% of the story, the message, the wisdom, the doctrine, and all that. But she's certainly showing a lot of light. What about Boaz? Now, he's, he's more complicated in his actions and his character. He blesses his employees in verse 4, and he blesses Ruth in verse 12. And he discerns why she's come, and she's obser he's observed what she's done. And he provides for, effectively, a destitute foreigner. He gives her permission to glean, that is, to pick up what the harvesters have missed, because they're harvesting by hand with a sickle bending down, stalk by stalk, and they miss a few. The rules in Deuteronomy and Leviticus say that when you're reaping and you miss some, don't go back, Deuteronomy 24. Leave that for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And it's the same in Leviticus 23, so you've got it twice, no excuse. And then in verse 9, it says, don't go, sorry, chapter 9 of Leviticus, don't go right up to the edge of the field either. Leave some for the sojourner, the visitor, person who's in your land, and the foreigner in the land. So Boaz is keeping the law. Actually, he goes beyond that because he not only says you can come up with the women and reap in the line of women reapers, but he also tells them to leave some, especially for her. Take it out of the bundle. You've already wrapped it up. Take it out and leave it for her. So he goes well beyond his legal obligation. And he provides protection. He tells her to be close to the women, and he tells the men not to harm her. He provides her with food and with drink, um, with bread and wine, and a meal and grain that's already been roasted. So it's already prepared from before for her to take home. He's providing for Naomi as well. He knows the law. And he's also uh, one of the redeemers in verse 20, kinsman redeemer in some versions, guardian redeemer, in the one we had today, that Brenda wrote with such endurance. <laughs> it's a strange title, and whoever is preaching next week will have the great joy of explaining it. But just a hint, it's about the land. It's about provision, food, comfort, and somewhere to live. And it's about buying back the land. What happens is, in, in Leviticus 25, it explains that if somebody dies, 
um, having got into debt and sold his land, then the nearest family uh, member, the nearest in the list of kinsmen redeemers, can buy that back. They don't really own land in the same way that we think we do now. They really own the, the number of years in the land until the next year of Jubilee. And that's really the number of crops that you can get from the land because it's really, it's about an agricultural society. It's not about building a tar block and getting the rent. It's about food and support. So he can buy back the number of years until the next um, jubilee uh, to redeem Elimelech's land. Now, Boaz was not the nearest relative. He didn't have to. He had to clear somebody else out of the way in chapter 3. He didn't have to redeem. And Jesus didn't have to redeem us. He chose to. That was his purpose. He said he came to give his life a ransom for many. So, Boaz is what they call a type of Christ. He throws light on Jesus and what Jesus will do before it happens. We're supposed to be throwing light on what Jesus has done after it's happened, but before he returns. So more of Boaz's character and his behavior. His language is full of blessings for his staff. His conduct is to support these foreigners who are coming to take refuge with God and to bring Naomi back into the family and, the, and the, the plan of God. And then, he doesn't know it, but we do, he'll be part of the line of descent to David the king and ultimately to Jesus. That's God's sovereignty and his loving kindness. Boaz gives quite a lot of light. His first line is, the Lord be with you. And his first line to Ruth is, now listen, my daughter. He's speaking. It doesn't say she's wearing a short skirt and she's wearing the most up-to-date perfume and she's looking an absolute cracker. It doesn't say that he falls for her because of her outfit. She's wearing widow's mourning clothes. She has to be told by Naomi in the next chapter to change into her best frock when she goes to the, uh, the harvest field at night. To, to see Boaz. So it, it isn't that, it really isn't Hollywood with, you know, the, the music coming in, to, sorry, sorry, the music coming in just at the critical moment to give you a clue. It's not that. This is his character which is showing. Naomi changes from Mara, bitter, call me bitter, the Lord's hand has gone against me, to saying this fantastic line. Some doubt in the text as to whether it refers to God or to Boaz. I think it refers to God because Boaz hasn't actually, isn't in a position to show loving kindness towards the dead. But the line really is this in chapter, the verse is 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The commentators say it could be Boaz or it could be God. It certainly appears to be both, but for our purposes, we can take that as Mara changing to someone who recognizes God's blessing for the living and the dead. This identifies God's answer to the unexplained suffering, answer to the apparent judgment, if it is that, with the famine.
God's astonishing, steadfast, loving kindness through thousands of years to us today. How do we finish? Do we say, how sad if we miss the opportunity to look after the foreigner directed by God to us for light? Wouldn't that be awful? Or do we end on a positive note? How wonderful if we do, despite our failings. Perhaps we don't manage, I don't, as well as Boaz. But despite all that, if God through us can enable us somehow to reflect the light of the world, Jesus, then we'll be a bit like Naomi, Ruth, even Boaz. Lord, please set our innermost being apart for you. Change us as you changed Naomi and use us, we pray, to reflect Jesus. Fill us with your spirit to shine with your light in our character, in our work, in our words. Amen.